0: has roger smith rsvp yet wall street i went to wall street to get seriously rich but i didn't get rich Hollywood Boulevard. I went to Hollywood to be a movie mogul. I didn't become a movie mogul. Washington D.C. The president and Mrs. Ford have invited us down to Palm Springs. He's been there. I love the entertainment business. Done and that. Being hired by a company called Carolco Pictures. And that. Was the night before Ronald Reagan was inaugurated. And
1: just about everything else you can imagine. I
0: thought of myself as somebody who was a double agent. He knew a lot of famous My people. experience with Orson Welles. How can you possibly hang out with that low-life Frank Sinatra? And now he's talking of that I was invited to some fancy dinner this is the podcast who the is Roger Smith but my real goal was to have an interesting life surrounded by interesting people and at that I succeeded beyond my expectations
1: in this episode we're off to the legendary Hamptons Roger has rented the home of a famous filmmaker there for almost 30 years and he's been going there even longer in the den of his Sag Harbor lair, we talk about why it's good to have Steven Spielberg as a neighbor and the haunts of Andy Warhol, Truman Capote, fashion and wildlife photographer Peter Beard, and even Donald Trump. There's also a side trip to Acapulco with Frank Sinatra and Barbara Streisand. But we begin on the eastern end of Long Island, home to the most expensive zip code in the country. Tell people, in your opinion, uh, listening to this around the country, What's special about,
0: and how long have you been coming to, the Hamptons? I've been coming here at least a portion of every summer, except for a few years when I lived in L.A., since 1967. The first house I rented you is still a a grand-looking but run-down house, on 27, 600 yards from the center of Bridgehampton toward East Hampton, and three bachelors. It had six bedrooms, and we took it for the month of August, for three thousand dollars wow thousand dollars each and we each had a one bedroom for ourselves and one bedroom for a guest and it was fantastic
1: now we're sitting within five miles of places that just for the summer rent for a million dollars so three thousand bucks
0: was pretty (laughs) it's pretty (laughs) crazy right this wonderful house we have here we have rented for 19 summers and someone said why didn't you buy a place instead of renting? I said, well, one, we love the house. Two, we've had a great deal, a bargain, relatively speaking. And three, somewhere, somehow, I've acquired a lifelong aversion to capital gains. I simply refuse to ever make money on real estate or stocks. I don't somehow know how to do it. But
1: <laughs> and the reputation that it has as being kind of uh, elitist and, and snobby and.
0: and the Hamptons, you yeah. Mean. Uh, When I first came here, I would say this, there were essentially no Jews in Southampton. And I said to Mrs. Woodward, who was one of the Grand dames, I said, I have to tell you this, and I can say it because I am Jewish, you let one in. (laughs) That was 40 years ago. And here you are. And here here we all are. (laughs) What we call MOTs members of tribe <laughs> right but now steven spielberg whom steve ross got to buy the house on 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 georgia pond oh tell me about that well i'll tell you about that because it involves my worst moment as the head of public relations for warner when a then writer for new york magazine named tony schwartz later famous because he ghost wrote donald trump's biography uh, autobiography and uh, they had a falling out because Tony's- The art of the deal. The art of the deal, yeah. right. Tony's not a great person, but he's a lot better than Donald Trump. <laughs> and um, I had kept Steve away from the press because he had a tendency to bullshit them and they saw through it. And they would go to this fantastic office and they knew how much money he made and they were, they were sort of, the press was, why is he trying to impress me? Well, the answer is he wanted the stock go up, and that's what the press's function was. But he wasn't subtle enough about it. I finally decided, though, that Tony Schwartz was the perfect person for Steve, because he had—he was a what we call, I think, a star fucker. <laughs> and I said, Steve, I've set it up that you're going to have meetings with Tony Schwartz. It was originally supposed to be a piece for the cover of the New York Times Sunday magazine. When he wrote it, it was such a laudatory puff piece. They refused to run it, which I said, "That's that's that's that was me Perfect. doing my job, mission accomplished." Yeah. Right. Uh, New York Magazine picked it up, and I said, "Okay, it's not the New York Times, but it's okay." Anyway, I said, "Steve, here's what you're going to do. You're going to invite him to be your house guest for the weekend in East Hampton." He said, "What?" I said, "Listen to me. Careful." The guy is easily impressed by stardom and and so forth. And you will have your neighbor, Steve Spielberg, just drop in while he's doing the interview, et cetera, and we will get exactly the piece we want, which we did. In fact, when he did it for The New York Times, they wouldn't run it because they thought it was too laudatory. However, at one point, I'm doing background with, with Tony, and he says, tell me, I have a question. I know what Steve Ross sees in Steven Spielberg. That's obvious. What does Steven Spielberg see in Steve Ross? I mean, there's a 20-odd-year age difference, a sort of Jewish businessman. He's a charming guy, but they're not exactly on the same wavelength. Good question. I said, don't you know? He said, no. He said, he needs someone to teach him how to spend money. The minute I said it, I realized if that got into print, I would be dead. Dead. Not not fired. You just wrote the lead. Yeah, right, yes. (laughs) So I called Tony up and I said, Tony, I'm asking you, I'm begging you to make that off the record. No, oh, I wasn't off the record. You said it, I'm using it. I begged and pleaded, and I'm very deeply grateful to Tony Schwartz that it never ran, because it was me being my big mouth worst, because that was just exactly the wrong... It, it, what Were you otherwise
1: quoted anywhere in the piece? No, my
0: rule always was, if I was to be quoted, I was a Warner spokesman. I never mm-hmm. wanted my name in, because what happens when they sew your name... The people slightly above you in the pecking order who don't deal with the press resent the fact that your name's in the paper and theirs isn't. So it was just Warner spokesman. And it also saved you sometimes uh, grief. In this case, that would have been mega grief. Now, were you at the house that weekend when he came? So you were a guest as well? Yes, I didn't spend the night, though. I came for four or five hours of the afternoon. And um, it was actually Amanda's house. It was a wonderful house that court- Amanda, Amanda Burden, uh-huh. whom Steve Ross had married, at that point had not yet divorced. They had they later divorced.
1: And next door to where Spielberg's little
0: well, I don't it, it, place he, is was, now. he was a little further up Georgia Capon. They, uh-huh. they were down at the sort of the the, the ocean end of it. Um,
1: the uh, Martha Stewart end, or yeah, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. The, Do you know that Kathy Spielberg? Rainer had a weather vane that had a dinosaur on it. And so many people could see that, even over the hedge, right. that they had to take it down because oh, they, too they tall. went,
0: well, that's Steven Spielberg's house. They didn't want people to be able to, to make the I the guess. connection. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Spielberg, it is unfair of me to judge him based on my limited experience with him because it was mostly negative. Warner, We've
1: talked about the video game that was right. a failure. Well, and Warner,
0: Warner had the most spectacular house in Acapulco at the top of Acapulco, just below, just adjacent to Las Brisas, and the house. It was the first time I'd ever seen an infinity pool, and if, and the and the infinity the thing was the view of the city of Acapulco at the distance. I mean, it was. This one was so big, it
1: went off into infinity. Infinity, yes. (laughs) And And we should explain, people who don't know, Las Brisas was a very famous hotel. Hotel, yes. uh, And every hotel room or bungalow had its own swimming pool. Right. That was its claim to to fame. fame. And it was in the mountains. In
0: the mountains. Well, we were very slightly below Las Brisas, but but the same drop-dead view. And Steve justified it when people criticized it as a needless expense. He said... Look, it's very hard to do something for Barbara Streisand. It's very hard to do something for Frank Sinatra. This house enables me to say, would you like it for the weekend? Invite any four or five friends you would like. There were six bedrooms, each with their own bath. There was the most, obviously, total staff who did everything for you. And, uh, and, and when you got, as, you, as an executive... At first, I got a weekend in May. Well, May was not exactly uh, desirable, and I slowly worked my way up to to April. And I got uh, bef- just before I got fired. I was in March, <laughs> but February <laughs> and January were the were the best weekends. And, right. Uh, and also, it was also dependent who else was there. If you were if you were invited to be there when Steve was there, that was no, the, that the, was the, t- the touch of the, yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: Did it fall upon you to be in one of your many jobs, the sort of Conrad Hilton of booking it for these people and uh, getting No Streisand wants it in? No,
0: I just dealt with Wall Street and I oh. would and, and it was tricky because the worry was that Wall Street would say, this is how these people live, out of the shareholders' money. And so you had to find a reason, like uh, one year we won some award, and I said, said OK, well, I'm going to invite a couple of analysts uh, for the, this reason. But you didn't want to, and it was, uh, you know, you arrived and each person had their name on the, on the door of, of their bedroom in a you know, beautiful wooden plaque. They were, the mariachi band would come in at dinner. You never went out. To, you never went out to a meal because <laughs> like it was, a cruise ship. Yeah, because it was much nicer to have meals there uh-huh. in this thing. It was it, Mika Erdogan had done the decor. It was uh, this was the one of the eighty-seven times I said, "Where has this been all my life?" <laughs>
1: <laughs> Unfair to say that celebrities live pretty much the same way in the summer out here in the Hamptons, and and they don't really get bothered out here.
0: No, they don't get bothered. Although they keep a low profile, I mean, you don't see them. It's not like Malibu, where everybody sees everybody at the at the Malibu Colony, at the at the Nobu restaurant, etc. There's uh, even
1: walking up right. and down the beach. Well, in it's
0: interesting. When you took me to the canoe place the other night, uh-huh. I realized it had something the Hamptons have never had: a hotel. Yeah. There is no <laughs> yeah. no resort in Europe of any consequence doesn't have five, ten wonderful hotels but here they don't want hotels everything is private homes
1: yeah the the canoe place in Hampton Bays was uh, in the 40s and 50s was uh, a place that Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz went there were a lot of famous people that vacationed mm. there and it's just had a, a it, massive remodeling and it's uh, and it's lovely but again for people who are listening to this and don't know there are no skyscrapers in the Hamptons they no. won't let anything be built that well yeah, over five right. stories the, and...
0: the the life and when i when i first started coming out here in the late 60s whoever house guest you were if they were invited to dinner you had to invite the entire household right so you would go to these places with, uh, you know, wonderful homes but you were invited as part of the household uh, people who you might never otherwise meet and i know many people in wall street and in the movie business who realized that it doesn't matter where you live in the city, you're not going to necessarily meet people and get invited into their homes in the city. But in the Hamptons, it's, oh, come over, we're having a pool right. party. Come over, you play tennis, we have a court. There was just that kind of ease of mixing that enable people to build careers doing that.
1: I uh, think it's still kind of an old guard or old money thing out here that if you have a house of four or five guests out and you are going to a dinner party, you have to call the host or hostess and say, there are seven of us coming, is that okay? Yeah, but it's still kind of accepted. It's still
0: accepted and they can say, oh, I'm so sorry I don't have room, but usually it doesn't. And it always had, the people that I knew at first who were Hamptonites did not ever refer to it as the Hamptons. We're going to the country. They said the country, and never the beach. The beach was considered truly déclassé if you said that. That was in New Jersey, New Jersey. Right. Yes, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and um, it was, you know, and, and of course in those days it never took more than two hours to drive out here, even though there was tra- there were less good highways, but way less traffic. And what changed the Hamptons was it was a place for Manhattanites. Eventually, all of a sudden, you would start noticing license plates from Westchester, license plates from New Jersey. Yeah. There was, it, suburbanites came here before. It was strictly Upper East Side mainly who who referred to it as their their country home.
1: Warhol um, had a place. Uh, well, the, Truman yeah, Capote. Right. Uh, I mean, there were bars and restaurants. Well, West I'll Florida tell you, that,
0: Truman Capote in ninth, This would be about 1970. Um, in those days you could hitchhike, because it wasn't considered scary or anything like that. And, and at some point, I didn't have a car, and I had walked about half a mile into the center of Bridgehampton from the house we'd rented. And so I'm coming back, and I stick out my thumb to not to have to walk another half mile back, or mile, maybe it was a mile. And I, a bright, green, beautiful Jaguar XKE pulls over, and I recognize Mr. Capote as the driver. <laughs> I'm very careful not to tell him that I've recognized him. Oh. Because I was then thinking, when the approach comes, how do I very graciously say, no thank you, but that's very nice of you, Mr. Kabode, but I, I don't go that way. He never he, he never made an effort. He didn't <laughs> made I said, What's wrong with me? <laughs> the guy never never came on to me at all. I felt like chopped liver.
1: It was yeah, bittersweet. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: Where can I take you, and yeah. then I'll just drop you off. <laughs> no, yeah. That's that's a great rock and roll
1: place. Uh, it's a one impression I do, and you happen to bring it up. Uh, best party you ever went to in the Hamptons. Did you ever go to Puffy's what, white party or no, any of that? No, no, that, that, no that was no, much that. later. The best. The best I mean, we I should am, tell right? people when you came out in the '60s, it was potato fields. It was potato fields and a couple and, of and, nice and, houses and
0: people with 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 slightly broken down 19th century farmhouses. Yeah. Now a few people had elaborate beachfront properties, but I remember someone saying, "Well, yeah, you won't believe it, but the guy paid a thousand dollars a foot for beachfront property. Can you imagine?" <laughs> it was not.
1: Roy Scheider moved out here, and who else? Like when you would, uh, when you would go to a restaurant it, it, in the Hamptons well, back people, in the, the day. People, the,
0: but the people, well, the the restaurants that you went to were on. Absolutely quiet nights, you went to Shippies, the most ordinary little uh, thing in Southampton that Uh just had pot roast and things like that. Uh, German food, too, that place. Yes, yes, the German. There was also, the fanciest place was in Amagansett called Gordon's. And Gordon's went out of business because it insisted on a jacket and tie, and nobody in the summer wanted to (laughs) still wear a tie. Then there was even back in those days when yeah, all I... of the
1: private clubs they went
0: to they had to wear, to wear a jacket wear ties. and but tie this... and everything in Manhattan right the everybody country wore a the country, the country was different no yeah. no no one wanted to wear a tie
1: and I guess we should explain to people listening now there are palms out here there's a uh, right. there there every kind of fancy New York and uh, Miami or Palm right. Beach restaurant has an outpost here but in those days that, when you first started
0: coming right. out there were one or two in each. Hampton, right? right, and there were well, the two places that were beloved by the old guard was the old stove pub, which has returned in a slightly altered and not quite as good version, which was a weird combination of Greek food and great steaks. And some people went for the steaks, and some people went for the Greek food. I went for the steaks. And it was run by the most unpleasant old Greek lady who, who sat there and, and then sort, sort of She, she, walked, she was held a sort of no way, right? A sort of. Slightly tragic version of Elaine of, of of the Hamptons. She would sit at your table and she wanted she constantly wanted you to estimate how much her land was worth. She, she ended up selling for a lot of money.
1: Well, that's but, a practice that goes on to this yeah, day. Yes, yes. <laughs> like.
0: But the steaks were fantastic. Lamb chops were great. And the other one, which was much beloved, besides that, was Bobby Van's. The original, which is Bob, still here, which is still right. here, not in the same. Right, it it moved was across, across the street. street. And it has none of the raffish charm that it had when his wife ran the front of the room and Bobby played the piano uh, when you went there for dinner on a Friday or Saturday night.
1: And this was the place where Capote and George Plimpton and uh, it had a yeah. literary crowd. crowd. exactly, that, And some of the photographers, maybe Peter Beard right. and yep. maybe... Uh, yeah, and, and would, was Warhol a, a fixture around or he was mostly not, not, in... Montauk? No, uh, uh,
0: the property that he owned... Well, he didn't really own it. It was owned by, oh God, I, I, I can see him. Um, who? does he—he's the one who made the thirty million dollars when. Not it was Julian Schnabel, who, no, but also no. had a place. Yeah, in no, no. no. Um, Paul Morrissey. Oh. Paul Morrissey, who was part of the Warhol crowd, uh-huh. owned the property. He had a little more capital than the rest of them did. And 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 this
1: was on the tip of Montauk, we should tell people, and it was like on a cliff. On a bluff, overlooking the the ocean.
0: It was spectacular. And on one side, you had Dick Cavett, and on the other side, there was uh, some other one.
1: Just the uh, idea of going next door to borrow a cup of Chevis Regal from Dick Cavett, (laughs) it just uh, amuses me. Well, I
0: spent... Several weekends at Peter Beard's house, which was part Peter Beard was a, 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 a photographer, famous, famous photographer, a Went famous photographer, a famous socialite, and he was Yale class of like 58 or 9, so he was a few years older than I was. The charm oozed out of him, he was just wonderful, and he was. Catnip to women like you've never seen. He had more affairs, the most prominently was Lee Radzivill. And one, he
1: was quite well known for traveling to Africa yes, and taking and, and, wildlife uh, photographs and then doing all these right. little doodles and writings on well, them that are now massively valuable. Right.
0: I can tell you two things about him, one of which is truly, truly impressive. His life's work, his photography, his negatives and things, went up in smoke one night. And burned to the ground and and three-quarters of his work was lost forever. I had dinner with him the next night at Elaine's in New York and he literally, I said, oh God, I'm so sorry. These things happen. He shrugged. There was just sort of he was, he was, half of him was the all-American Yale boy, and the other half was a really great creative person who had great sense. He, he knew
1: he could make more. Well, he, could, it he wasn't, knew, yes,
0: he wasn't yes, the right. uh, Warhol factory,
1: per se, right. no. but he could, he could go back in, take some pictures. He and,
0: said something to me once that I never forgot. He said, Roger, no one should be in New York unless you have something it wants. He said, otherwise, it's not worth the effort and the trouble and the expense. That made a lot of sense.
1: If none of his stories were about you, we hope you enjoyed this episode. Who the F*** is Roger Smith is recorded in an undisclosed bunker somewhere on the Upper East Side of Manhattan. All opinions are Mr. Smith's own, but everything he says happened because he was there. Bill Bergoli's is our producer and editor. I'm Bill McCuddy.
0: ElectroCast, transform your influence. ElectroCast.
1: Today is working for me. Do you believe that for yourself?
0: Hey, I'm Pastor Julie, and I want to empower you through encouragement, inviting you to my podcast, Big Truth Encouragement, where I unpack living a faith-filled life. I created my podcast for the ladies, but gentlemen, you'll gain something too. So I invite you to listen to Big Truth Encouragement on ElectricCast and any platform where you listen to your podcast. Electricast.